Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. I have a question for everybody this morning or, or today. What would you want to be written down or recorded about the last week of your life? I want you to think about that for a moment because I guarantee whatever it is, you would want what was most important from that last week of your life to be recorded and preserved for others to know about. Well, the last week of Jesus's life is the week that changed the world. And the gospel writers wrote about it, wrote extensively about it. Now, the Bible tells us there's so much that could have been written about Jesus. So it's important for you and I to think about whatever has been recorded and written about the last week of Jesus's life, that's critical for us. That's something like we want to grab a hold of. This is important. They thought it was so important to make sure that we have this information. So uh, sometime you may want to consider even doing a study. Hey, I want to look at the last week of Jesus's life. I want to look at every single story, every single word that was written, what was said about him or, or that he did. And I want to grab a hold of that. Today, we're looking at one of those topics, and it's the topic of prayer, but specifically, this is a prayer made by Jesus. Now, if you think about it, it really is a great privilege for you and I to be able to go before our Heavenly Father and be able to actually pray. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, that you actually get the opportunity to pray to our Heavenly Father, and we can do it anywhere and at any time. Paul, if you think about it, Paul prayed in a dungeon, right? Daniel prayed in a cave that was filled with lions. Peter, he prayed on the surface of the water, and then Jonah prayed under the water in the belly of a fish. And when we pray to God, God is most interested in the movement of our hearts towards him. James chapter 4 tells us, draw near to God. And if you draw near to God, what does it say? It says, God is going to draw near to you. Now, here's something to keep in mind as you and I pray. We aren't telling God something he doesn't already know. Right? Have you figured that out yet? And in fact, scripture tells us that. It says in Matthew 4, your father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. So if you're like me, you start to think, well, if he already knows, anybody ever go here? If he already knows what I'm going to pray about, then what? then why? What's the point? Why pray if he already knows? Listen, prayer is not informing God, but what prayer is, is inviting God. Prayer is that time when we are conscientiously, purposefully aware that God, I am inviting you into my circumstances and into my life. God doesn't need prayer, but guess what? We do. We need prayer. Prayer is what actually changes our heart. And, and the more that you seek him, the more that I seek him, the more that we have the heart of God, it unleashes the power of God to do great and mighty works in our lives and in, those, in the lives of those around us. Now, here's what's incredible. Jesus is praying for you and I. And I get really excited about that, knowing that Jesus is actually lifting me up in prayer before our Heavenly Father. Hebrews chapter 7 says, He, Jesus, is able to completely save those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to, what does it say? To intercede for them. 
And then in Romans chapter 8, it says Jesus is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading, or some translations say interceding for us. So the question is, what is Jesus praying for? What is Jesus praying about? Which is really an interesting thought if you think about it, that Jesus, God, is praying to God. It's an amazing thought. If nothing else, it's Jesus modeling it for us. But what is Jesus praying for? Well, we find it in John chapter 17. So turn in your Bibles or go on the YouVersion Bible app. You also have our notes in there. John chapter 17. And this chapter, John 17, last week of Jesus' life, this is the real Lord's Prayer. Now, some of you are like, no, 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 this isn't the Lord's Prayer. Uh, well, what you and I call the Lord's Prayer that's found in Luke 11. Remember what the disciples, they went to Jesus. You remember what they said to him? Lord, will you, what? Will you teach us to pray? And so Jesus said, okay, this, here's how you pray. So that's really the disciples' prayer. But this is the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer that he prayed. And when Jesus prayed, he actually starts by praying for himself. <clears throat> He starts by praying for himself. So you know what that means? It's okay for you and I to pray to, for ourselves. It's okay to say to God, God, help me. God, guide me. God, lead me. It's even okay to say, God, would you bless me? So let's pick this up, John chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 1. It says this. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus was praying for himself to the Father. And I want you, first of all, just real quickly to notice the posture of his prayer. What did it say in verse 1? What did Jesus do with his eyes? He lifted his eyes. He lifted his head to heaven. He looked towards heaven. It's just a kind of a reminder. And I don't think most of us need this, but maybe some of us do. There is no magical, physical way to pray. Our eyes can be lifted to heaven. Our eyes can be shut, right? We can be on our knees or we can be standing. We can be on our back or we can be uh, flat on our face. We can be folding our hands or not or lifting our hands. We can be standing, sitting, walking, running, whatever it may be. It's not the posture of your body, but it's the posture of your heart that matters before God. What is the posture of your heart before God? And that's how God wants us to view this and think towards this. And Jesus prays in John 17, verse 1, he says this, the hour has come. What's that hour? What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about it, it, the hour has come, and it's really this hour of darkness. It's the hour, if you will, of Satan's attack. <clears throat> this is the hour where Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified. Horrible circumstances are just about to unfold. The hour has come. And it makes me think about the idea when we think about prayer that God is going to allow circumstances in our lives. And those circumstances that he allows in our lives doesn't mean he causes every circumstance, but he will allow circumstances and he'll use those to help keep us dependent on him. If all, if all there ever was was blue skies, you know, and, and green lights, I'd be stoked. I mean, I really would. I'd be excited about that. But if that was the case, how often do you think you would really pray? How often would you really turn to God in prayer? Think about it for a moment. 
If you never had a health issue, if you never had a financial need, if you never had a problem with, with relationships with your family, with your kids, with your parents, uh, with your coworkers, if you never had an issue or a problem with your work, if you never had financial challenges, if you never had any of that, would you still pray? Oh, you might, but I don't think you'd pray as much. I don't think I would pray as much. It's the pressures of life. Those are what bring us and draw us to the Father. And it allows him to show his power in our life. As James chapter 1 verse 2 says, When trials come your way, don't treat them as enemies. Rather, treat them as friends. Everybody say the word friends. And you listen to that verse and go, really? I need to treat my problems as friends? That's what scripture says. Listen, when you're under pressure, when you're facing some kind of conflict, when you're having some type of hardship in your life and you're saying, God, why are you allowing this? I can tell you, I don't know the answer, but I do hope it causes you to pray. I do hope it causes you to turn to God, to press into him, that you would pray and you would reach out to him. He wants to draw near to you if you would draw near to him. So Jesus starts off praying for himself. But the remainder of this prayer, now Jesus is going to be praying for us. And again, last week of Jesus' life, this is recorded for us. So we want to know, what is Jesus praying for you and I about? This is critical. This matters for us. Well, first of all, Jesus prays for our preservation. Let's look at verse 11. Uh, John chapter 17, he says this to God. He says, Holy Father, protect them. By the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None of them has been lost, except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Have you ever known somebody who has made a, quote, commitment to follow Jesus? And maybe even be baptized? And they start off well and strong, but then you saw them crash and burn? They walked away from the alleged profession of faith that they made. Have you ever known someone like that? And maybe you've wondered at times in your life, could I fall away, spiritually speaking? Could it happen to me? Well, you and I need to understand that God gives us the resources that we need to walk with him. That he gives us his strength. Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. What's interesting though, is the previous verse says this, it said to you and I to work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. One translation says to work out your salvation. See, it's important to understand people don't just fall away from God instantly. They don't just walk away from God instantly. You know what happens? It's gradual. It's a subtle thing. It really starts when we no longer are moving forward in our faith with God. It's sort of like a train that's going full speed and all of a sudden the power's cut. Will that train suddenly stop if all of a sudden it's going full speed and the power is cut? Will that train suddenly stop? What's the answer? No, it's not going to suddenly stop. Why? Well, the train has momentum. And even though you probably can't see it at first, the train is already slowing down. 
even if you don't notice it at first. Why? Because there's a lack of power. And it will eventually come to a halt. That's what it's like for you and I. If you and I stop feeding ourselves, if you and I stop growing spiritually, if you and I stop connecting with God, then slowly we won't be where we once were. And even in our own spiritual life, we'll come to a halt. And Jesus recognizes that, so he prays and he prays for our preservation. Some translations say he prays for our protection. And even as other translations says, when he prayed, he said, God, keep them in your name. That word keep is very interesting. We see that throughout scripture. Jude chapter one, verse 24 says, God is able to keep you from falling. Saying the word keep. God is able to keep you from falling. The question is, do you want to be kept? He's able to keep you. Do you want to be kept? Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 1 Peter chapter 1, we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. And then Jude chapter 1 verse 1 said, To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept or preserved for Christ Jesus. You're kept, you're saved, you're preserved, you're safe. Why? Because you're God's kids if you've given your life to him. We're kept. The question we ask ourselves is, do we want to be kept? John chapter 17, verse 12, gives us insight in this. And it says, verse 12, Jesus said, I kept them as he's praying. He said, I kept them safe by the power of your name, God, the name that you gave me. I watched over them and none of them except one person became lost. And we know who that was, right? Who was that? Anybody know? It was Judas. Here was a person who was with Jesus, but he didn't want to be kept. God keeps us. God protects us. Jesus prayed for that. He prayed for our preservation. And then Jesus went on and he prayed for our sanctification. That's an that's a interesting, you know, Christian word or Bible word. We'll talk about it in a second, but let's look at the prayer. John chapter 17, verse 14. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am the world. Again, he's talking about us. He says, the world has hated us. My prayer is not, God, that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify, what does it mean? It just simply means to be set apart. Set apart. Set apart those who are followers of mine. And how does that happen? By God's truth. He's saying, you know what I want for each and every one of you? You know what I want for those who will profess faith in me, who those who understand that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to live a life that honors me, that honors God. I want to live, you to live a sanctified life. I want you to live a holy life, a different life than others in this world, a set-apart life. And when we do that, when you do that, when I do that, when we live a sanctified, when we live a set-apart life, what did Jesus say the world's going to feel about us? What did he say? He said the world's going to what? They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you when you live according to God's word and God's standard and God's truth. Why? Well, because now we're a light shining into a dark world. Because now we're representing God's holiness and God's purity, which is the very opposite of what the world offers. 
Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says this. It says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for all that we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. These are from the world. Jesus prayed for you and I. And he prayed that we would be different, set apart. And so our objective is to stay as far away from sin as we possibly can. Stay away from the cravings of this world, from the pleasures that this world offers us, and stay as close as we can to Jesus. Sin can destroy us. There was this article that was, uh, that was in the news, and uh, I'm just going to kind of read some of it to you here real quickly here, rather than try to describe it. Here's the article. A lover of exotic animals died of asphyxiation after his eight-foot pet African rock python called Tiny. True story. Okay. This eight-foot python is called Tiny. After it wrapped itself around him, a coroner has ruled. The coroner from Northeast Hampshire, Hampshire, Andrew Bradley, recorded a verdict of misadventure, saying he believed the python was instrumental in Brandon's death. Now, here's what the coroner said. He said he made it clear he did not believe that the snake had been aggressive towards its owner. And here's what he said. But the most likely scenario was that the reptile had been coiling around him in an affectionate way. Now, this is certainly sad for this individual who passed away, of course. But come on. I mean, seriously, give me a break. It coiled around him in an affectionate way. What are you talking about? First of all, snakes aren't affectionate. Okay, they're not. They're not. There's no affection in a snake. Why? Because it has this tiny little brain. Snakes can't affect, uh, express affection like, you know, your dogs that you have. Or even a cat. That'll only be the only time I ever give a shout out to a cat. Even they're more affectionate than snakes. What are snakes? They're cold-blooded reptiles. And so because they're cold-blooded reptiles, the reason they wrap around you is why? Because you're what? You're warm. So of course they're going to do that. And when a snake looks at you or I, it doesn't say, oh, you know, I love you and I want to cozy up to you in an affectionate way. No, it looks at you emotionless with its tiny little snake brain and its only animal instinct is when it's coiled around you is to squeeze. I don't care. I'm a snake. I'm emotionless. Here's the analogy. We sin and sin's around us. And sometimes you and I think it's not a big deal. In fact, we might even call it a tiny sin. We rank our sins. Oh, this is just a tiny sin. And you know what that tiny little sin does? It wraps itself around your neck in an affectionate way because sin is fun at the time. Does anybody agree with that? <laughs> yeah, well, I only had one person, a preacher, say amen. The rest of you, that's the only truthful person in this room. Thanks, Brother Ben. Because everybody else... You're not being honest. Sin's fun at the time. The Bible talks about that. That's why we do it. But in the end, it leads to death. 
And if you don't think it's fun at the time, then you weren't sinning right. (laughs) But here's what sin does. It chokes us out. It chokes out the life of us. It chokes out the holiness in us. It chokes out the purity in us. And that's why scripture teaches us when it comes to sin, man, run. When it comes to sin, flee. When it comes to sin, get away from it. Genesis chapter four says sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. That's all it wants to do. And so Jesus prayed. He said, God, I I want them to be sanctified. I want them to be set apart. I want them to be running from sin. And I want them to live holy and godly and God-honoring lives. And that's what Jesus has for you. That's what Jesus has for me. And that's what he's praying for. He doesn't want us to get choked and killed by sin. Next thing Jesus prays for, he prays for unity. He prays that we be unified. John chapter 17, verse 12, it says this. I don't pray for these alone, but also, that was his disciples, but also for those that will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. Say one. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us. Say one. That's what Jesus was praying for. It is such an incredibly powerful witness When Christ followers stand together, united as one, unified, it's the most powerful witness we have when we're loving one another, unified together. And when we're not unified and when we're divided, it destroys our witness. Jesus is praying for unity, for oneness for us. Why? Because he knows the devil loves to divide. He loves to bring division. And it really, it's amazing to me, even though it's not, but it is amazing to me how easily we get divided in churches because of our opinions. And so often, so many of us turn our opinions into what we think is like, this is, you know, from God. A lot of it isn't, because I've heard the stories over the years. I've watched them here at LifePoint and other churches. A lot of it's just your opinion. Jesus is praying. For us to be united in one and not divided over our opinions. It's amazing to me that we will divide in churches because of the music. On whatever category of the music category is. It's too loud, it's too soft, it's too old, it's too new, it's too this, it's too that. There was a season, I remember this maybe 20, 30 years ago. There's a group of people who are rising up and saying, hey, all the music is about me. And not about God because people started, you know, sharing kind of their emotion as they were worshiping God. And I'm like... Have you ever read the Psalms? <laughs> Have you ever read what David's talking about himself all the time and worshiping God and trying to figure it out? And I messed up God and I need, and so, I mean, but you had a group of people. I can remember that. They were like, oh, we can't, we shouldn't be singing these songs. So whether it's songs, people, churches, people in churches divide over. People divide over churches because of a specific ministry in the church. That should be there. That shouldn't be there. Why are they doing it this way? They should do it this way. And, and people literally divide. Or here's the biggest division that's happened in the church this last year. Church's response to COVID. That's been the biggest thing that preachers we've watched And it's heartbreaking to me that people have somehow, some way determined and and divided over over a church's response. Well, this church shouldn't open. This should open. They should stay open. They should stay inside. They should go outside. They should wear masks. They should not wear masks. They should do this. They should do that. And we've watched that and people moving around and switching churches. And when they do it, they don't just subtly go. They write their long emails and their long letters and how the church is sinful and this and that. I've watched it. I've heard it. Heard it a little bit here, not a ton, but a lot of my buddies and, and we've watched it. 
and people have divided or people in the churches get divided over whatever the latest hot button topic is. Well, the church should speak up and say this, the church shouldn't speak up. The church should be silent. The church should step into the church, shouldn't step in it. And that, you see that constantly. Jesus prayed for our unity because he knows how dangerous and damaging it can be and will be for us personally and for our witness when we're not united as one. Unity is important. The second part of this equation is what are we unified around? What did Jesus say? He said, Sanctif uh, he said that we would be united around truth. That we'd be sanctified around his truth. He said in verse 17, sanctify us by God's truth. And God's word is truth. That's where our priority needs to be when we think about unity. And Augustine, uh, a guy from a long time ago, said it best. A Christian said it best. He said, in the essentials of our faith... There needs to be unity. In that which is non-essential, there needs to be liberty or there needs to be grace. But in all of it, there needs to be charity or there needs to be love. So when it comes to the essentials of the faith, God's saying there needs to be unity. So I can tell you this, if you don't believe the, the Bible is God's word, man, I will love you and I will care for you, but, but we can't be unified. You know, if you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God, again, I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to uh, uh, treat you with honor and respect. You're, you're a brother or sister in Christ, whatever it may be. But I got to tell you, we won't be unified. We don't have unity. If you don't believe in the essential, non-negotiable uh, portions of Scripture, which, by the way, there isn't a ton, but if you don't believe in those essentials, we can love each other, and we should, and we should have compassion and care for one another. But there can't be unity. What's essential for unity of faith is that we're unified around the truth of God's Word. And if it's a topic that's a matter of opinion or interpretation, if it's the non-essentials, and that's where we have the liberty, the freedom to disagree, the freedom as brothers and sisters in Christ to, to say, man, here's how I see scripture and this is what I think it says. And I, I know this isn't a, you know, go to heaven issue, but here's how I see it. And Christians have been having those discussions for 2000 years. The unfortunate part, some people have turned that into a place where they say, well, because of that opinion, we're going to start a war in the name of God. Man, in the non-essentials, let's disagree as brothers and sisters of Christ, but no matter what it is, essentials or non-essentials, let's love one another. We're the family of God. We're the children of God. Let's not devour or bite each other. Let's not criticize one another. Our goal is unity, to be one around God's truth. That's what Jesus prayed for. And finally, Jesus prays for our influence. He prays for the ones that you and I are going to reach. He said this in John 17, verse 20. He said, I do not pray for these alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. That's an amazing thought. Jesus right now, 2,000 years ago, was interceding for you and I. That Jesus was praying for us and about those that would be reached through the disciples' message and through the disciples' words. And let us not ever forget, ever forget the primary way that God reaches non-believers, those who don't know Christ. The primary way he does it is through other believers. Romans chapter 10 says, how in the world are they going to hear the good news unless there's a messenger? 
This is the heart of God. This is the purpose of God that he has for us, that we would be his messengers sharing his good news, the good news that Jesus saves, that we would share that with all people. So once again, we ask the question, who's your one? Who is it that you're praying for? Who is it that you're going before the Father and saying, God, there's someone I'm going to pray for them every single day. I'm going to constantly bring them before you. I want them to know you. God, give me the opportunity to share your good news with them. Give me the opportunity. Give me those chances. Who is your one? And again, with Easter coming up, it's just that time of year that it's easy to think about. Because this is the time of year when people are more open to faith. They're all more open to hearing about something beyond themselves. They're more open to hearing about God. So who's your one? Who are you praying for? Who are you inviting? Who are you sharing your story with? Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. He prays that we'd be preserved, that we would be kept. And the question is for you and I, do we want to be kept? Jesus prays for our sanctification, that we live holy, set apart lives, that we would honor him, that we would not be pulled down by sins, that we wouldn't isolate ourselves, but we would seek to use our impact and our influence to be a light in this world. Jesus wants us to be unified, that we love one another, that we wouldn't destroy one another, that we would be one. And lastly, Jesus prays for you and I, reach others with the gospel, with the good news that Jesus saves. That's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for me. It's God's heart for the world. Now, as we wrap it up, as you're here listening to this, if you're watching online or listening online, and if you're not sure you're saved, if you're not sure of what will happen when you die, will you go to heaven? The Bible says this, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I gotta tell you, Jesus was praying you would make that decision today. Jesus was praying for every single person that you would make the decision to give your life to him, to surrender your life to him. And I wanna tell you, you can do that right now and I wanna invite you to do that. So let's pray and seek the Father. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming and for dying for us, for paying for our sins so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have eternal life. Jesus, thank you for caring for us, for praying for us. And so God, I pray right now for those who are sitting here or those who are watching online, anybody who's listening, God, I pray for those who don't know you. Jesus, I'm asking right now that they would see the need that they have for you that they would recognize, Jesus, they need you. They need you to experience life abundantly. They need you to you to forgive their sins so they can experience eternal life. So Jesus, help them to believe right now. So if you would like your sins forgiven, if you would like to have the confidence to know of where you will go when you pass from this earth, I wanna invite you right now to ask Jesus into your life. It's not the exact words, but it is more that you really mean it in your heart. So pray with me if that's you. Say something like this, Jesus, I come before you now, save me. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life. So as best as I know how right now, Jesus, I say I choose to no longer live for myself, but to live for you. 
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Thank you for allowing me to be in your family. My life is yours. I surrender to you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. God, I, I rejoice with anybody who's just lifted that up to you, who's just prayed that to you, God. We thank you for your love, your grace, your forgiveness. And God, for those of us who already know you, God, give us in our spirit this drive, this desire to pray, to pray for others who don't know you. And that we would share your good news with all those we come in contact with. And even as we enter into this moment to remember your love, Jesus, thank you. We praise you. We worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.